You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 54 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Office Apps and Services MVP, Sarah Hazi. Hey, this is Christian Buckley with another MVP Buzz Chat, and I'm here with Sarah. Good afternoon. Hey, Christian. Hi, everybody. So I know that you're out. So why don't you tell everybody, people that don't know you, I've known you for many years as mm-hmm. one of the primary, the principals of SharePoint Saturday Twin Cities, amongst mm-hmm. other things and involved. But why don't you give us uh, your background, tell everybody about yourself, where you work, where you're from. Fantastic. Uh, my name is Sarah Hazi. Um, uh, I have known you for many, many, many years, um, which belies our age, surely, because we both look young. Um, so uh, I am an Office 365 uh, Servers and Services MVP, um, tend to work for very large companies, helping them figure out their collaboration, um, adoption, and governance strategies at the organizational level. So most often focusing on SharePoint and Office 365, and I've been in that space for a very long time, more years than I will say. Um, My passion areas tend to be around uh, user adoption, governance, um, inspiring users to wanna get involved, and then leveraging creative ways to be able to gather requirements and build consensus using things like innovation games. I, so, you know, I just had this conversation uh, uh, a couple days ago mm-hmm. about how over the last, the span of the last decade, and this is actually why we, I think we initially like connected while coming to speak at the event, or because 10 years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, there were very few people that were talking on the end user adoption, engagement, and governance side of things. It was more, you know, dev-centric, IT pro-centric topics around the technology specifically, and there's a handful of us, and there's more and more of us now, which is great to see, that we're focused on, you know, that's all great, but if people aren't adopting it, if they're not actually, you know, using, leveraging the technology, it doesn't matter how polished the deployment was of the servers or the services, it's, you know, you've got problems on your hands, and so. Yeah, in fact, before SharePoint Saturday Twin Cities, I think that we've been running events for, 11 years now, I want to say, but before SharePoint Saturday Twin Cities even existed, the first ever SharePoint camp that I went to, which was the precursor to SharePoint Saturday Twin Cities, I went to in the Twin Cities, I was the only person on the agenda who was not delivering a dev or an IT pro topic. Also the only female speaker on the agenda, which thankfully has also changed a lot in the last 10 years. And, uh, And it was utterly fascinating because I think a lot of people came just of an interest to see what on earth is this gonna be? Because it's very different in terms of a perspective. And now when you look at SharePoint Saturday in particular, and with the amount of people that we get, Um, an overwhelming percentage of the sessions are related to information workers and users, power users, makers, uh, and all of those folks. And uh, realistically, that's where the demand is in terms of attendees, and it's where most of our sessions submissions come from. And uh, so it's interesting to see how things have morphed in the last 10 or 12 years. And with Office 365, that hasn't changed, right? Um, If anything, it's only gotten stronger. You know, I'm remembering back, I believe it was in 2010 or maybe early 2011, where I came out and presented to the user group 
that was there at the Best Buy headquarters. Yes. And so that was part of you. You were part of the organizing committee for that as well. Uh, I was. Yes. Yeah. So that. And so my topic was, and I'm sure I've got the slides, like in SlideShare or something, but was around governance because there's that the end user side, but there's also just the ongoing the operational management and the. Uh, the, the executive buy-in to a lot of what's going on. And so I talked on kind of those topics as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's interesting to see how much just in the, not to get into the technology specifically, but how much the admin consoles have changed and how the metrics that Microsoft now understands that they need to do a better job of attribution and, and measurement around is around that adoption and engagement and governance. They talk about governance, you know, constantly, the management of all of these things. They do, and yet it's interesting how far we still have to go. Uh, I know I wrote up a blog post last year on this topic, um, OneDrive. Um, I find fascinating from an adoption perspective. It's pretty easy to go after and get things like your active users or your active user percentage, but I find it interesting that we still have pockets where we can't define what good looks like and we can't define what great looks like. Many organizations, for example, when they roll out OneDrive, they migrate their shared drive content over to OneDrive, shut down other avenues for being able to store content, in which case everyone is automatically in. So it's impossible to measure engagement of OneDrive utilization in that instance based on active users because most of your users are going to be active in some manner or have content because you've migrated content to their OneDrive. But for those organizations who have voluntary OneDrive usage, what does good or great look like? Six months after OneDrive rolls out, if they still have all their shared drives and all the previous places that they have, and you haven't leveraged Fast Track or any other strategy to migrate any content, what does good look like? What is a good market saturation after six months? What should you expect or hope for? What about after nine months? And how do you measure that? So I, do, I have a question for you then, sir. I want a, a, a straight and honest answer here. Mm -hmm. What does good look like? <laughs> That's the question. Uh. <laughs> well, it, as you know, I'm, I'm half joking here because it's uh, it's kind of like the, the phrase, you know, best practices. And I, I find myself with these cliche statements of, look, a best practice for one organization is not a best practice for another organization. Even within a company, um, to go and monitor and, and see – uh, that you know that there are maybe through surveys and interviews discussions with a team you you dis discover hey this is a high performing team uh, within the technology within Office 365 they're leveraging it they're happy with it what's different about what they're doing and others and you can't just say do all the same things that this team is doing over in these other scenarios because it may not be a fit for you know that culture and needs and so, we still haven't addressed the value problem. Um, and ironically, I was delivering sessions about this back in like 2007 and 2008, just because we have content stored in at that point in time, SharePoint 2007, doesn't mean it's providing value. How many times is the same file stored and how many different sites? And is anybody actually finding it and accessing it? Um, one of the things that I see all the time is people getting excited about the number of documents stored in OneDrive. Well, I don't care. I mean, frankly, because is that driving value? That's utilization, not the same thing hoarders. as value. I mean, but we're hoarders right. of information. And as, as the cost of storage has come down, people have gotten incredibly sloppy in what they store. They're not mm -hmm. putting your retention rules in place. They're not really doing the management side of that, which is going to cause a bigger problem down the road. 
Correct. So how do we determine the actual value of uh, the solutions? How is it helping us to achieve our business goals, right? And depending on the type of business that we're in and the type of goals that we have, right, that might be increasing customer satisfaction or employee satisfaction, might be uh, changing and innovating the way that our employees work together. It might be helping the bottom line or reducing uh, the time it takes for us to get our product to market, any of those things. But I think that that's still a critical gap. Um, and, uh, so those are things that I still am passionate about talking about, you know, and I, and I know that you, uh, we, we both kind of live in this world so that we, we have recognized the same thing that people love lists. They love to, okay, tell me the five things to go and do. And we would, as we just discussed, there's, there's no list of five things that everybody must do mm -hmm. that'll work for those different situations. But it's one of the reasons why like Tom Duff and I started doing the productivity tips and presenting them as these, hey, here's ideas of ways that you can improve team or, or personal productivity and the ideas. Now we have our favorites. If I were to go in an organization of the now 140 tips that we've uh, you know, uh, shared through our webinar series, um, I might select 10, 15, which I think would fit the scenario um, you know, for this, this person I'm talking to this client or whatever, but mm -hmm. you know, in general, do you have, uh, some, like, I'll use again, the phrase best practices, but recommendations for organizations that they should go in and think about and, and, and do activities, whether it's part of a initial discovery or just ongoing operations for healthy management governance of these, mm -hmm. these things. Uh, I always recommend starting with um, innovation games are a great way to be able to discern what your business needs are, the pain points, the challenges, and the opportunities and where they lie. And I think the most important thing is not about the technology or the tool. Um, is it Teams? Is it Yammer? Uh, do you use OneNote to manage your tasks or do you use Outlook or To-Do or where you manage things? Um, and I think it's more about the personality of not just the company, but the department and the team that you're working on. So for me, it's always about the use case and about people's um, willingness to adapt to change, technology adeptness, desire to engage with new technologies, and frankly, what they prefer. Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter to me if someone prefers to leverage OneNote to manage their tasks, or Planner, or To-Do, or Outlook, um, as long as they know best tips that they can use to manage that effectively, and if they're sharing that with other people so that other can, others can learn, yeah. It doesn't make a difference to me what they use because everyone's got a personal preference. I'd always use the example of, of like uh, karate. It's like, you know, um, do I need to remember all 37 ways of killing a person? No, right. I just need to remember one when I need it, you know. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, in a work situation, of course. Right, yep. <laughs> Oh Well, maybe you could also explain innovation games. I've been in some of your workshops and sessions mm -hmm. go through that, but uh, some people might not be aware of what that is. Right, so innovation games are basically, uh, it's a loose set of game, gamification mechanics or gaming principles that you can apply to work situations to help you come up with um, quantitative and qualitative data. Uh, and so it's a series of uh, facilitated exercise or events that you can run, usually with small groups of people, um, to be able to gather information and content from them. So you can use it to gather things like requirements, prioritize requirements, feature needs, for example, you could leverage it to determine, hey, if we're not gonna roll out Office 365 as a big bang, which Office 365 apps should we focus on rolling out first? And you could use it to gather input from your users to be able to drive those kinds of strategic decisions. 
You can also use it to identify things like pain points and challenges. So, um, and I have several blog posts on this, but one of my favorites to do is an exercise called speedboat or sailboat. And it's where you go and ask people a question, right? Um, what's holding us back from getting to Office 365 user adoption nirvana, let's say. And what are the anchors or the challenges that are holding us down on our path to get there? And it's really enables everyone to be able to have a voice in sharing what they consider the challenges to be and you go through a group facilitated discussion of those items in a ranking exercise that then gives you the ability to have not only qualitative data about what the challenges are but some amount of quantitative data around uh, what's the highest priority what's the biggest pain points and so it's that ability to effectively distill what normally seems like a whole lot of noise into something that you can actually utilize you know what I love about um, running those kinds of scenarios and too is especially if you're able to like break up into different groups and have them do go run through those exercises and share back with the larger group is that what inevitably happens is that they'll share some real world experiences of projects that they'll go through. They'll focus on some different a team or scenario or project and then what they would have done to solve that better or what they leveraged from that. And then sharing that back, um, you then see a, a, just a broader set of examples of, of these use cases and scenarios and how people you know, tried to resolve them, ran into problems. All things that others in the room will be able to identify with and probably like, hey, yeah, I had a similar scenario. Oh, that we took a very different approach. That, that might have worked out much better. And to hear those examples from peers and people within the organization is so much more powerful than sitting and listening to an expert um, say, hey, mm -hmm. here's five things that you can go and do. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, so it, you're almost uh, kind of uh, uh, seeding the community within that organization of, hey, you know, I'm aware that this other team ran into something similar. I'm going to go follow up with them after this right. half day workshop and to see what else I can, I can do to improve. It really does. And it builds rapport among not just for you, the facilitator and the people who are participating, but the people who are participating with one another. It builds that community that's so important for that Office 365 engagement. Well, what's it? I, so here's another small, easy lob uh, over the fence question is, is how do you define governance? Hmm. Uh, I like to define, uh, you know what, I always start off in my head as soon as anyone asks for a definition of governance, I first think of Susan Hanley's definition of governance, which is uh, no sharp edges. And I always thought that that was a really good <laughs> definition of it. Um, I, I have to tell you, I take a practical lens to governance. Uh, governance means very different things at different companies based on the industry that you're in, the culture of the organization, the expectation of leadership, and really how people engage with data. Um, I worked at companies where I've put together governance models that are six big pictures. And that's it, the entire governance of SharePoint was six big pictures. But you know what? Everyone, when they looked at those pictures, knew exactly what was underneath them. It's, um, but it fit very well in that company culture. I've worked at other organizations and in other industries where we had government's documentation that was a 42 page manual that got sent out quarterly and we required um, site collection administrators to attest that they received it on a quarterly basis and could view it. So um, do I have personal preferences? Of course, um, but those are rarely what is called for uh, in terms of deciding factors. So I like to take a practical approach and say that the governance, just like your user adoption plan, absolutely need to reflect the industry and the company that you're in. 
But again, going back to that whole idea of use cases, you need to find out what kind of governance that you need and what the aptitude is in your organization before you go after it. And I think anytime that we talk about a best practice that is build a wiki and make it look like this um, is, is chronically lacking in having it be assimilated well to the needs of that organization. Well, it, it's in that it's also stifles then or organizations. I find that uh, when you run out and say, like I, I used to always say for, so I would, you know, years ago, I built out uh, project management organizations and, and business analyst teams and I uh, did that as a consultant for a few years. Um, and I would always say like, look, I don't care what methodology that you use, have a methodology mm-hmm. um, that, that's something that you adhere to and, and, and lean on for ideas of how to move things forward and look at where you can make operational improvements. But, uh, but at the opposite end, I say, if you have a methodology, do not try to attempt to implement 100% of that methodology. Adjust <laughs> where it's needed and, and throw away where it's, it's not necessary. Um, but the, the stifling part is that organizations, especially if there's a bunch of that's being dictated to them of how to go and do this and mm-hmm. that, then they fail to move forward. It, it just stops them because they're right. just like, where, where do I actually begin? And so one of the messages that I'm constantly saying about governance is that draw a line in the ground. You're not going to be perfect with your metrics. You're not going to be perfect with all of the outcomes around that, but start measure what you know that you can measure from that move forward and adjust and evolve that as it goes forward and, and learn and make it. If you, I mean, think of that. We we talk so much now about those of us that are in this side of the business, um, the more, I I hate this phrase too, of the soft skills side, but the, um, the, the governance and, and, and project management side and kind of all those things. Uh, is uh, uh, is that we we talk about change management and learning organizations, mm-hmm. and those organizations that can get good at change, and recognizing and adopting and uh, and evolving around the changes as they are happening in this, especially with this evergreen technology that we now use, um, they're going to be better prepared for anything thrown at them by competitors within the organization or from the technology. I 100% agree. And I think that there's that magic in starting. And uh, too often we hold ourselves back. We hold ourselves back thinking that it's the analysis paralysis of how do I know that I'm doing it the right way? Or uh, I'm not in a position to dictate that, or I'm waiting to get that promotion. I'm waiting to get that title that will give me the ability to set this for the organization. And invariably, if you start, you're going to get feedback and you're going to learn something and you'll improve over time. So I think that that starting is absolutely the key. You know, I, there's a, uh, so one of the classes during in business school. So one of my professors, uh, Art Close, I'm still in contact with them. He was, uh, he ended up being, I did a startup that I started business school was, uh, one of our advisors and uh, he's now teaching in the uh, in the Carolinas Um, but he uh, he, just something that stuck with me uh, and he had an operations management class uh, was the you know kind of like the what is the role of of managers of management is to make decisions if you are stifled you're not managing a process I mean like that's Mm -hmm. and, and so part of that is you take the limited information and, and talented managers are able to make decisions and move forward based on experience, but with a little bit of information. Now, right. obviously, and I always love this example, like if you, the more information you have, the better, 
but you rarely have that more information. You, you need to make, make a decision, move things forward. It's like a, it's like a map. Like uh, the, the most accurate map in the world is the one that's one-to-one uh, uh, scale. Very impractical when you're driving and pulling out the map and you have one mile equals one mile and it's all in paper in right. your, your car. Um, but, but similarly with, with management, with governance, is that you make the best decision you can on the limited information that you have, but make a decision, go forward and, be, and recognize, be watching the indicators hey, this was the wrong direction. We need to redirect this and move forward. You know, you, you, uh, you get the, the data, you get the measurement by making progress, whether it's progress forward, backward, sideways, mm-hmm. you have more information then can make a better decision on where to take the next step. Anyway. And oftentimes taking a step and getting feedback on that step that you took, uh, you might not otherwise have gotten any information to base your next decision on if you hadn't taken a step. So uh, completely agree. Yeah, that's something that, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, upward training of uh, kind of old school managers, uh, uh, senior managers to recognize that, that the, kind of those principles that, that we needed more information. We didn't know. We did the best that we could. And uh, I think this also comes with an organization that is, uh, that is able to better recognize and, and, and transform with, you know, with change using all of these cliched catchphrases today. But, you're um, you're going to get promoted for sure. Yeah, we have to be able to learn. We have to be able to uh, make mistakes. And mm-hmm. I would always use the phrase, it's like, we're moving forward based on this, the – uh, on the, the the information we have in front of us today, it's the it's the what is what is the phrase that that I use? It was um, uh, this this is the like this the system of record today, right? We're constantly adding to and we're adjusting to that. You know, based on what we know today, here we go. And I think you just you know, upper management needs to recognize that sometimes like that's where we're operating and we're doing our best. But. Right. Agreed. Interesting. Well, anything else that's going on? Anything else you want to, I mean, people getting in touch with you, kind of other, other aspects out there. Have you written any white papers, any videos, anything that people should get to look at? <laughs> um, I do have um, recently, um, there has been a four episode podcast mini series uh, that I've been recording since last December uh, with Daniel Glenn about um, Office 365 user adoption. And it's called the Coffee Chat on 365 Adoption. Uh, and you can certainly find it on my blog, blog.splibrarian.com, or you can Google it. Uh, that's been a really fun series to do. It's really about two hours, just over two hours of content split over four episodes. That's really stem to stern how to lay out user adoption methodologies, mm-hmm. clever ideas for user adoption, why the five-step process for user adoption does not work. Just because an idea works great in one company does not mean it won't horribly fail in another. Uh, and how you can uh, really take a look at things through your own company and cultural lens to be able to drive forward programs that will make a difference where you and, are. And you are, I should point out too, that you are also part of the extended uh, uh, regarding 365 team. Yes. And so yes. can you also find it through those resources through that? You those? can, you can find it through regarding 365. Yes. So if you go, for those that aren't familiar with, uh, with regarding 365, uh, if you go, it's out on medium, if you do a search for, you know, RE365 or regarding 365 as one word, right. I, and I think that's the, the Twitter handle as well as. Yes, that yeah. is the Twitter handle. They'll um, be able to find it there. 
Yeah. So some great resources. I just say that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a bit, uh, um, my lackluster performance and, and within that group, but I'm also part of the extended universe. Um, the, the RE365 extended universe. There you uh, go. <laughs> my finds it's like the superhero universe. That's right. It kind of is though. Yeah. When you think about that. And I was, I, I, I was kind of, you know, praising Daryl and Daniel for like the, uh, the, the lack of sleep and all the work that they do around all the, the updates. And, and Daryl's like, it's really not that big of an effort. You know, we just do this and this. I'm like, don't, don't undersell yourself. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of, uh, of work that they do and a great service. And I would say, excluding myself from that, you know, all of the other regular contributors for it, it's just a fantastic resource for all things. If you're one of the most common things I hear from people in the Office 365, the, for the customers mm -hmm. is, how do you guys keep up with everything? And the first answer is, I don't. Uh, the second answer is that I, so I leverage a couple of resources and regarding 365 is one of the key resources. Absolutely. And it's all out there regarding 365.com, but they've got the shows that they do, the Message Center show, all the blog content. And it really is just a great um, coming together of everyone to be able to share their content uh, in one area. And then you can jump off from there to be able to learn more about what all of the different contributors do, but a really good program. So it's amazing to me how much people are willing to give in this community and how much of their time and their personal time that they're willing to put in to do things. Uh, like this. It's just amazing. Agreed. Included. And with all of your free time, of course, you help run twice a year, the SharePoint Saturday Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. And uh, gonna, you know, what's the time frame for the next one? We usually do fall and spring. I don't have an announcement about a fall day right. yet. We're working on it. We'll press it on. So <laughs> I know that's out there for, for those that are, uh, aren't aware, familiar with this, you have the spsevents.org that has uh, SharePoint Saturday events that are around the world. Of course, it's more than just SharePoint. It's all of the Office 365 mm -hmm. or even, uh, you know, expanded universe, the Microsoft 365 right. uh, as well. We're rebranding our event here in Utah to uh, um, 365 Friday. Oh, nice. To Friday, just culturally here. We think we're going to get a better crowd on a Friday than we do on a Saturday. It's like here in Hawaii, you know, right. um, and, uh, and, and Israel, you know, I think the <laughs> Friday will perform better than But Saturday. it's understanding your local market and their use right. cases and their needs. So see, we're already practicing our user adoption skills. But Sarah, yeah, I mean, so you're at the helm of, of one of the largest global SharePoint Saturday events still. So I, mean, I don't know what the numbers are like, but still it's one of the largest that's out there. It's been mm -hmm. for a long time in the US. It was back and forth with Twin Cities in Houston for years. But then you guys just kind of... I think we edged it right out there. Yeah. Uh, yes, and no, and it's a lot of fun. We have a great community in the Twin Cities for SharePoint Office 365. It's a family reunion twice a year. A great team. If you're in that part of the world, you definitely want to go take a look at it. And uh, free is a great price. It's hard to beat that. So It yeah. is. Well, Sarah, thanks a lot for your time. SharePoint librarian, you. of course. And, uh, and you can also find her out on uh, Regarding 365. But Sarah, right. thanks for your time. Thank you, Kristen. Wow! Yeah.